Well, good morning once again. Welcome. Glad you're here this morning. Um, like Jenny said, uh, Mike was kind of feeling pretty lousy this morning. Um, I, I didn't mention his first service, but I think we needed to not let him go on sabbatical anymore. Like, <laughs> uh, one time he did, he went on sabbatical, he had a heart attack, and then this time he ends up, you know, uh, pretty pretty sick. But anyway, um, sounds like he got some rest prior to getting sick. So anyway, he had a good trip, um, enjoyed some time off. Um, so this is not my first time uh, preaching and singing in the same Sunday, but it is the first time I've ever given a sermon with less than 24 hours to, <laughs> to prepare for it. So um, all in all, I think it went pretty good. First service went pretty good, but uh, I'm hoping that <clears throat> after this and after singing one more song that I still have a voice and uh, I can talk. Um, so um, I'm going to be worn out, but it's all good. For, um it's it's good. I'm I'm excited about this message because um, it's we're finishing up the ser- series on the prodigal son. Um, Mike shared some of his notes with me from what because he was already preparing a sermon, so um, I had a little bit of an advantage there. But um, I had to take that and kind of make it my own and add some to it. Um, so uh, we're, we are wrapping up the series. Um, Larry and um, Austin did a great job the past couple weeks, kind of um, summarizing the uh, the prodigal son. Uh, parable that we find in Luke chapter 15. Uh, Larry, of course, shared about the younger son, um, and then Austin kind of gave the perspective of the older son last week. Um, so it's going to be a little bit hard for me to not just repeat what they said, because um, we, we do cover a lot of the same stuff, but uh, I think it's important that we do that just to keep, you know, keep the context where it needs to be as we start, as we talk about the father and his, his place in this story. So, um, again, they did a really good job of explaining the context of Luke chapter 15. Uh, they talked, also talked about the um, other two parables that are in Luke 15 that kind of led up to this parable uh, of the prodigal son. Um, there's a parable about the lost sheep. Um, so, there's, you know, the shepherd has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost. Um, and he leaves the 99 to go find the one. Um, and then, you know, in, the, in verse 7 of Luke chapter 15, it says, um, In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So you see that there's this, uh, there, there's this, uh, this theme of how much God values the lost and how much um, he, he has value for those that have strayed away. Um, and he rejoices uh, because it, they found the sheep. Um, and then the second story is about the lost coin. The lady who lost the coin, she had, um, she had 10 silver coins and she lost one. Um, but it says she searched her house, she, uh, she found it, and she told her neighbors, her friends, and she called them all in and said, rejoice with me, I found the lost coin. So it's kind of a very similar story. <clears throat> There's a celebration because she found what was lost. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a the, the theme here is to think about the celebration that happens when something's, when something's uh, lost and is found, uh, when a sinner repents and is saved. Um, and so that leads us into this, the third uh, parable about uh, the prodigal son. And this is probably the best, um, it's one of, if not the best, illustrations of the gospel uh, that we have in Scripture because it gives kind of all the perspectives of, of um, God's grace and where we might be and where we might fall into place in, in the picture of God's grace. Um, so I want to read the entire passage of, um, this parable of the lost son. Um, so that's in Luke chapter 15 and we'll start in verse 11. Uh, it'll be up on the screen. So I'm going to, I'm going to just look down here at my screen and read through it, but it's, uh, starts in verse 11 and goes through verse 32. But before I do that, I'm going to take a sip of water. So this is the parable of the lost son. <clears throat> 
It says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man who had two sons, the younger son, told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine who was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. And meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. And his father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now is found. So again, we have this theme of something that was lost, something that was found, <clears throat> and then there's a celebration that ensues. Um, so, you know, we hear this story, and um, you know, we we always kind of we always kind of look at the younger son. Austin kind of mentioned this, Larry did too. But there's all, there's three characters in this story, and they're all pretty important. Um, so, we, you know, we hear this. Uh, we usually hear messages about the prodigal son, the wayward son, and it's all about the younger son and how God's grace was. Uh, you know, he was he was welcoming back this this wayward son and that's that's important um, but there's more to the story um, it's not really just the parable of the prodigal son um, so there's a book Tim Keller wrote a book um, it's called the prodigal God and I, I got a few um, uh, quotes from that book but this I want to read this one to you so Tim Keller says I will not use the parable's most common name the parable of the prodigal son it is not right to single out only one of the sons as the sole focus of the story even Jesus doesn't call it the parable of the prodigal son, but he begins the story saying a man had two sons. The narrative is as much about the elder brother as the younger, and as much about the father as the sons. And what Jesus says about the older brother is one of the most important messages given to us in the Bible. The parable might be called, might better be called the two lost sons. So again, here we're, we're talking about this again, that it's not really about one son, it's about both sons and the, the father as well. Um, you know, Austin explained last week uh, the meaning of the word prodigal. You know, we think about prodigal, typically our minds think the wayward, right? Prodigal means wayward. Um, it doesn't really mean that. It, uh, the, def the dictionary defines it as 
recklessly spendthrift, uh, recklessly extravagant, um, having spent everything. It means that you've spent everything until you have nothing left. So to be prodigal means you've spent everything you have, there's nothing left. So not only is this, good, this term good for describing the younger son, right? He left, he took everything he had, he squandered it, he spent it uh, you know, extravagantly. He was reckless with, with his spending, um, but it also describes the father. Um, the response that the father offered was pretty reckless too, right? He, the son had gone and just blown everything that the father had given him, um, but the father accepts him back anyway. Uh, that was a reckless thing for him to do. Um, you know, the, the father, he would have been shamed for doing that, right? The son would have left, been shamed for leaving and doing what he did, but it would also have been shameful for the father to accept him back um, and being gracious to this, to this son that had done such a bad thing. So, you know, this, uh, the response that the father gave, this prodigal response that he gave to the son was, uh, it offended the elder son, right? The older son was jealous and mad that his dad was extending grace to this, to this horrible son. Uh, it also probably offended the, the community around because they would have looked at it as this is a shameful thing to do. Um, I think Austin explained that pretty good last week too. But we can also take this term prodigal and apply it to God, um, just like the father was uh, reckless in his extravagance towards the son. God is reckless in his extravagance toward us, in his great love for us. You know, Jesus literally spent everything he had. That's, that's the term we just talked about, prodigal. It was spending everything you have. Jesus spent everything he had when he gave up his status. He came to earth and he died. He, he was a human. He died on the cross. Um, felt every bit of that pain. Um, so he was reckless in, in his uh, outpouring of love and grace towards us. He refuses to hold our sin against us if, as long as we believe and trust in his grace, just as the father refused to hold the, to hold the son's um, sins against him when he came back. Um, so, you know, the, the series has kind of given me a, a new perspective, and I hope it has you on this parable. Uh, you know, like I said, a lot of times you hear, uh, you, you hear the prodigal son story, and it's all about that younger son who strayed. And then uh, you kind of look at the older son as the good guy, right? And we're like, well, um, but kind of going through this series has given me a new, new perspective. Um, the focus has always been on that younger son and his reckless behavior. Um, and then it always kind of made me feel like um, the older son was sort of left out. Um, but then sometimes it's the picture's painted as the older son or the Pharisees that Jesus was speaking to. Um, it kind of makes them out as a bad guy and not worthy of God's grace. But we all know that's not the case, right? We're all, everyone in this story is worthy of God's grace. Um, you know, it kind of it kind of makes us become Pharisaical to hear this story. A lot of times, when you hear it, when you hear the uh, the message, because it's like um, the Pharisees were bad, and every, and the, the kid that came back was good, but it both were equally bad. You follow me? Uh, <clears throat> so, people who break rules. This is a point we have on the slides. People who break the rules or follow the rules both end up lost. I think there's a slide somewhere, but they're kind of out of order. So, <laughs> but. <clears throat> I'll say that again, though. People who break the rules or follow the rules both end up lost. There we go. So that kind of sounds weird, right? If you follow the rules, you're going to end up lost. That's not necessarily the case, but if, we, if our focus is only following the rules, like if that's our main intent is to follow the rules to earn God's grace, 
then we're going to be lost. Uh, just like the Pharisees. That's kind of the point here is uh, the Pharisees were doing everything they thought was right. They were following the scripture. They were doing everything that the word said, but they forgot to have that relationship with God. And they forgot that grace was the main thing, that grace is what made them saved. Uh, they were doing their best to earn salvation. Um, so both, pe both the people who follow the rules or the legalists, uh, and even those that brazenly break the rules, the sinners, the younger son, can both be just as lost. And I think you'd probably agree with me and, and um, uh, say that there's a lot of churches, there's maybe even this church has some people in it who think that they're going to go to heaven because of the things they've done, uh, because they've been good. Um, but then when we really think about it, if we look back at Scripture, we know uh, being good doesn't save us, right? It does, we, can't earn our, we can't earn grace. And, you know, in this story, we often, it's easy to relate to the, to the younger son because we all stray, right? We've all done things that we shouldn't have done. We've all we're wandered off the path and um, taken things for granted and maybe um, spent God's grace in a way that wouldn't be acceptable. So it's kind of easy to relate to him, but then it's hard to look and say, yeah, I, I was once that older son as well, right? Um, because we, as we start following the rules, as we start doing what God has commanded us to do, we can become legalists and, and kind of go on the other side of the spectrum. So being good doesn't save us. And that's what this story is all about. It's trying to teach us that. Um, you know, it's, um, it, takes, it takes a lot of work for us to look inwardly and say, yeah, I've, I've been that older son as well. Um, but it's even harder for us to understand really how God pursues both the younger brother and the older brother. Uh, we, all, we always think about, um, you know, God, I, I tend to do this, but to hear uh, sermons out of the New Testament when Jesus is talking about Pharisees, we often put the Pharisees in this group of they're just awful and they can't be saved, right? <clears throat> um, but that's not the case. It's, so it's hard to understand that God loves both. He loves the wayward sinner who's down and, uh, down and out and coming back to him pleading for mercy, but he also loves the legalist who's trying to earn their way to that favor. Um, so, you know, we, we read this. Um, we, got, we have to understand that God pursues both. Um, you know, they both disrespected the father um, and neither wanted him for what for his uh, for his relationship. They just wanted what he had to offer them. So, you know, that all this, I think uh, Austin also mentioned this, the response of the elder brother is not really recorded. It's kind of left open ended. So we don't know how the older brother responded to it. Um, but we know that the father was reaching out to him um, we know that he was willing to accept the younger, the older, the older brother as well. Um, so for us to understand this, we have to understand that God's love is sufficient for everyone. Um, it's, we have to lean on God and the Holy Spirit to show us that, that even though no matter which side of the spectrum on, um, you're on, God still loves us equally. Um, here's another quote from Tim Keller. It says, neither son loved the father for himself. They both were using the Father for their own self-centered ends rather than loving, enjoying, and serving Him for His own sake. So you think about that. The sons, really, they just wanted, they didn't really care about their Father. They didn't want a relationship with their Father. They just wanted the things that the Father could offer. Uh, you know, the younger son obviously got his, his reward. He got his inheritance. Um, the older son, you know, you hear in the story that he's jealous. All he wants is the things that the Father has to offer. Um, he doesn't really want to, neither one of them want a, want a relationship with God or with the Father, God. That's, that's kind of the point of the story. But um, So they're just out for the benefits. They don't truly love their Father. And we have to be careful. We have to take that, uh, that part of the story into consideration too and not just follow God or come to church or serve, do things for the benefits. We have to do it out of a response 
We have to do it out of love for God and, and response and thankfulness for his love towards us. Um, I had a quote here that I found. I don't know where I heard it or where I got it, but um, I, I remembered it as I was reading through this. I remembered, uh, remembered this quote, and I, I found it on my Facebook, or I, I shared it several years ago, but I was able to search and find it. But I'll read this to you. <clears throat> it says, If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you ever had on earth, all the food you ever liked, and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, all the natural beauties you ever saw, and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? I thought that was a pretty, pretty powerful, uh, pretty powerful quote statement there. It just kind of like these the, the the sons in this story. They were satisfied, even though their father wasn't. If their father wasn't there, they would have been satisfied, right? They had all the things that their father had to offer. Um, and I, I kind of think about that. If you if you could have everything that ever made you happy on earth, you know, every scene that you ever saw, every sunset, sunrise you ever saw, the most beautiful things on earth, everything that ever made you happy, but Christ wasn't there, would we be satisfied? So that's kind of what this story is pointing out, that the, the, the sons didn't really care about the father. So we have to be careful that our goal was not about the things and the, what God has to offer us, but our goal was to have a relationship with him and to be thankful for the love that he's given us. You know, we can rebel against God and be alienated from him either by breaking the rules or by keeping them diligently. That's what this story is telling us. We have to be careful uh, that we don't just try to follow God's law um, because it can end up being like we're rebelling against God because then we put ourselves in place of God. We become so legalistic that we forget God is full of grace, that he is grace. Um, and we try to decide who's good enough to receive God's grace. You know, just like the older son, he's like, hey, this guy doesn't deserve your grace. What are you doing? So as we, as we follow what God says, we can, we can stray over to that side of becoming judgmental and legalistic and think that we know better than God. Um, and we put ourselves in the place of God. And that's really, that's really the root of the first sin, right? Adam and Eve thought that they, were, they knew better than God. Satan convinced them that they knew better than God and they, that they should uh, eat this fruit and that it would be fine. So we have to be careful not to put ourselves in that position. Um, here's another quote that I'll read to you from uh, Tim Keller. It says, Here then is Jesus' radical redefinition of what is wrong with us. Nearly everyone defines sin as breaking a list of rules. Jesus, though, shows us that a man who has violated virtually nothing on the list of moral misbehaviors can be every bit as spiritually lost as the most immoral person. Why is that? It's because sin is not just breaking the rules. It is putting yourself in the place of God as Savior, Lord, and Judge, just as each son sought to displace the authority of the Father in his own life. So again, that's just reiterating my point of you know, when we, when we sin, it's really putting ourselves in the place of God. It's not really breaking a rule. Um, it's saying that we know better than God, and we trust in our own understanding above what God's trying to tell us. And to go back, you know, most of the readings of this, of this parable concentrate on the younger brother leaving and then coming back, the prodigal son. But it misses the real message of the story because there's two brothers. Again, each represents a different way to be alienated from God. One is you just spend everything and, you know, go away. And the other is you follow, try to follow all the rules. Um, they're both trying to seek acceptance of God and, and to get acceptance into the kingdom. But Luke recounts that uh, there's two groups of people, right? He says there's Pharisees, which are the, 
in the group of the older son, and there's also the sinners and tax collectors who fall into that category of the younger brother. So the same goes for us. There's, there's two groups that we can fall into here. Um, the targets of the story are not wayward sinners, really, uh, necessarily, but it's more a target to the religious people. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He's trying to explain to them that they're being legalistic and they're, they're missing the point. They're missing the point of God's grace. So they're trying to say that. He's trying to say that to us as well through the written word. Um, uh, Jesus is saying that uh, even both the irreligious and the religious are spiritually lost. Both paths lead to dead ends. And every, every thought that we've had about how to connect with God is really wrong. The, the only way we can connect with God is through his grace. And to accept that, uh, to realize that it's a gift from him. Um, let's see. This parable really retells the, the story of the entire Bible, right? And the story of the human race. It's kind of everything all rolled into one. Uh, within the story, he's teaching that the, the two most common ways that we try to uh, seek God are wrong, the, but that the only way that to him is through grace. Um, you know, the only way we can have a happy ending, that we can find resolution, that we can um, commune with God is through him. Uh, it's through his person, through Jesus, through the death on the cross. Here's another quote from Tim Keller. This is, a, this is a pretty good one. Jesus does not divide the world into moral good guys and immoral bad guys. He shows us that everyone is dedicated to a project of self-salvation, to using God and others in order to get power and control for themselves. We are just going about it in different ways. Even though both sons are wrong, however, the father cares for them and invites them both back into his love and feast. This means that Jesus' message, which is the gospel, is completely different. Is a completely different spirituality. The gospel of Jesus is not religion or irreligion, morality or immorality, moralism or relativism, conservatism or liberalism. Nor is it something halfway along a spectrum between two poles. It is something else altogether. So, as believers, we got to be careful, right? We can't. We got to be careful not to go the way of the younger son. Uh, who lives out, we just go and outright rebel. Uh, and we also have to be careful uh, not to become the elder son who thinks that outward expressions or outward marks are uh, show that we're holy or make us truly of God. And the best way to avoid this is to have a clear picture of who God is and how much he really loves us. Um, and that brings us to another point that's in the slides, I believe. Uh, it's God's love allows him to forgive and restore anyone who is lost. Uh, so again, we're not saved by anything we have earned or achieved. Uh, we deserve death and punishment, uh, but God saves us because he loves us. Romans 3.23 kind of explains that to us. It's clear that um, we all fall short of God's glory. Um, not one is righteous. None of us is righteous. We can't earn it. Uh, Romans 5.8, it says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So while we were even in the midst of our sin, God sent Jesus uh, to die for us. He sent Christ here even while we were sinning. God's love and forgiveness can pardon and restore any and every kind of sin. It doesn't matter which side of the, which side of the spectrum we're on. Uh, we can be rebellious or we could be this extreme legalist who is trying to follow the rules and earn our way. Um, 
you know, the younger brother, he knew that his father's house was, uh, there was, it was, everything was abundant there. It was, there was food to spare. Uh, there was plenty of, plenty of space for him to get around and to ha- to be in, you know, in the home to live there. But he also discovered that there was a lot of grace. Um, the father had tons of grace. Um, there's no evil that the father wouldn't pardon. Uh, his grace was sufficient. Nothing could match his grace. Um, Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verse 7 kind of uh, reinforces that. It says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Um, Dallas Willard explains, here's, there's a quote here from Dallas, Dallas Willard, uh, explains God's unconditional love and kind of gives a different perspective on his love. He says, Love is not a faucet to be turned on and off at will. God himself doesn't just love me or you. He is love. He is creative will for all that is good. That is his identity and explains why he loves individuals even when he is not pleased with them. We're directed by Paul to be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you. We are called and enabled to love as God loves. You know, there's a lot of people, um, I think, we could all we could all uh, say this is true. We probably experienced this. There's people that uh, who've abandoned religion, right? They've abandoned the faith because there are people uh, like the older son, right? There's people who've just walked away from Christianity, walked away from any religion because they see a lot of elder brothers uh, in the church. Excuse me. What I mean by that is they see they look at us and they see a lot of jealous, self righteous, hypocritical people, right? Um, they look at us and they see you know, a group of people who uh, somewhat are judgmental. We hold, we we kind of withhold the grace, or we we think that we can withhold grace from them. Um, when the reality is that the grace is sufficient, and without that grace, we couldn't be where we are. Um, so we have to be careful. Um, we can we can turn people away from the faith uh, by being that elder son, by following all the rules and thinking that we've got it all together, and portraying that to people around us. Um, you know, it shows, uh, this story shows that even the most religious and moral people need God's grace. Um, you know, we're, we're just as lost as the one who strays away and blows all the money and, uh, in, in frivolous living. But there's hope even for those people that are on either side. There's hope. There's hope even for the Pharisees. We also learn from this uh, parable that repentance must go deeper uh, than just regret for our sins. Uh, here's another quote from Tim Keller. It says, Mercy and forgiveness must, must be free and unmerited to the wrongdoer. If the wrongdoer has to, has to do something to merit it, then it's not mercy. But forgiveness always comes at a cost to the one granting the forgiveness. So again, we have to remember that it's mercy and forgiveness are not mercy and forgiveness if we have to earn it. Um, it always comes at a cost of the person who's given the forgiveness. In this situation, it's the Father and or God. God had to give something, a sacrifice for us. Um, another point that we have in the slides uh, is religion says, I obey, therefore I am accepted by God. But the gospel says, I am accepted by God through the work of Jesus Christ, therefore I obey. 
So a lot of times we, we kind of, again, the, the older son, the Pharisees, they had this flip backwards. They had, they had the wrong picture of the gospel. They were saying, I'm obeying all these rules, so God must love me. Uh, he, he's going to accept me because I'm doing all these things. But just as it says, the gospel says, I'm accepted by Jesus. And because of that, because of his sacrifice, I will obey what he's telling me to do, the, the commands that he gives. You know, the key difference between a Pharisee and a believer is that their inner motivation, right? All the change is, is happening within your heart. It's not an outward, it's not all outward things. Uh, the gospel restructures our heart. It restructures our mind. Uh, it changes our motivation about how we do things and why we do things. Um, you know, once we receive God's grace, we serve because God forgave us. We serve and help those who are in need because we have been in that position as well. Um, you know, I, um, I got to be careful because I got, I work, I work, uh, I work for a family company, and some of them are here, so i got to be careful what I say. But uh, <laughs> work is stressful, right? There's things at work. No matter where you work, who you work for, sometimes work just gets to you, right? <clears throat> and, and I often do this to myself. Um, I work with the public a lot, too, so I talk to a lot of people, and uh, sometimes people are upset with me because of whatever. Um, but your motivation, my motivation for working and doing the things I do is not to please who I work for. It's not to... Um, it is to earn money for my family, but my ultimate goal is to be to please God. Um, so you know, and because of the gospel, because of what God has given me, the grace that He's shown me, my motivation for doing my work and doing my best work is for my love for God. Um, so I have to keep that in perspective. I have to remind myself throughout some days, like this is not about anything else other than your love for God. So that's, that's what should motivate us. And if we have this right picture of the gospel and the grace that's given through it, then that helps us to stay motivated and, and to focus on the things that really matter. <clears throat> so, um, you know, in this story, the father really represents the heavenly father um, because he is full of grace for both, both of the sons. Uh, he not only welcomes and celebrates the wayward son, but he also pleads with the older son to come and celebrate with him. Um, you know, Jesus is, 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 his grace is sufficient for all of us. Um, you know, if God is not prodigal towards us, his children, uh, then we have nothing to hope for. He, he, God's reckless with, and, and there's hope in that. It's a life-changing experience. First John 1, 9 says, if we can confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, the father's response to this older son, it's beautiful. Um, uh, it's, it's, Reckless, like I said before, it's prodigal. He's he's spending everything recklessly. Um, <clears throat> I want to read this to you. Uh, read to you from uh, the message paraphrase. This is a uh, a paraphrase of the Bible. It's like a translation of the Bible, but uh, it's kind of a neat perspective on this this passage. It says, "Son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time, and everything that I have, everything that is mine, is yours. But this is a wonderful time, and we had to celebrate." This brother of yours who was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. You know, a lot of times we think of, uh, of God's love as uh, being, having, it's, there's limits to God's love. We don't necessarily say that, but we think that a lot. I mean, that's, I think that's where this older son is, what he's thinking here is the, this father's, the father can't love me if he loves my younger brother. He can't possibly give me the same amount of love that he's given my younger brother. And I think that's what's motivating the older son here is that um, he's afraid that the father's love is not sufficient for both of them. Um, so 
you know, he, he thought that by his father expressing love for the younger son, it would take away from or diminish the love that he had for him. But that's not the case, especially with God. God's love is infinite, right? It's, there's enough love for it to go around for all of us. Uh, we don't have to worry about um, him loving our neighbor more than he loves us. He loves us all equally. Um, so that's another lesson we can take from this. Love is not like a well that's limited, right? You, you, the water doesn't run out. Uh, God's love is sufficient. It's infinite. Um, and so just remember that. That's, that's another point from this, this passage. Um, Ephesians 2, just to reiterate, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, this is reiterating the whole thing about grace, that it's not by grace we're saved. God saved you by his grace when you, I, I said that way wrong. It's not by anything except grace that we're saved. Let me just read it. <laughs> God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. So ultimately, all these parables in Luke 15, all of them are kind of about the same type thing, right? They just show a different perspective. Um, something's lost, something's found, um, there's a celebration. Ultimately, every one of these stories ends with celebration. And as the series ends, it's important for us to remember that, um, you know, if we stray off the path, if we take that path of the younger son, that we can come back. There's always forgiveness. There's always hope. Um, the father is right there. Uh, he's waiting for us to return. But there's also hope for us if we end up on the older brother's side, if we become legalistic, if we become like a Pharisee. There's, also, there's hope for both of us. Um, you know, and there will be a celebration, right? There will be a celebration no matter which end of that spectrum we're on. When we return to Jesus, when we come back to God and we ask for forgiveness, he's going to readily welcome us home. There's going to be a celebration. Um, I, heard a, I heard a speaker one time um, kind of give a message on this, this prodigal son, and he, he mainly focused on the, the younger son as well, but he also brought in the other two, just not, maybe not as uh, strongly as this series has for me, but... Um, he was talking about the younger son, and, and uh, you know, when the father saw the younger son coming, kind of how he reacted. Um, <clears throat> I'm not going to do what, what this pastor did or this speaker did, but he actually got off the stage and was like running through the crowd and running up and down the aisles, but I'm not going to do that. But um, my voice is already uh, bad enough and out of breath. So, um, But anyway, so he's describing this, and just so just think about this. Um, the father's sitting on the porch, you know, he's... He's maybe worried about his son, doesn't know. He thinks his son may be dead, hasn't seen him in a few years. And, you know, he sees, he sees this figure come across the horizon. You know, he's like kind of squinting, looking out there, seeing who it is. He's not real sure of himself at first. He's like, is that, is that who I think it is? You know, is he back? And then it said, and, the, and the scripture says when he realized it was his son, his wayward son was coming back, what, did it, what does it say he did? He ran to his son. He didn't just sit on the porch and say, oh, I'll wait for my son to come back. I'm glad he's home. He jumped off the porch. He took off. He was in a dead sprint. So imagine this. This, this speaker I'm talking about was sprinting up and down the aisles and you know, doing this impersonation of the father who just saw his son. He hadn't seen in years. He thought he was dead. He's running. Sprint. Dead off sprint. Just, you know. It says he ran to him. He, he sprinted to him. He embraced him, and he kissed him. And then they threw this huge celebration. So no matter where you are this morning, no matter which side of this spectrum you're on, if you're that wayward son who's straight off the path, you know, God's there. He's not just there. He's not just there waiting. He's ready to run towards you and embrace you. Same thing for the person who may be on the other side of that spectrum who's put their self in the place of God and, and 
thought that they were earning their way to grace and put themselves above other people and trying to earn their way uh, to forgiveness. He's right there. He's waiting. He wants to run to you. He wants to embrace you. He wants to kiss you this morning and, and throw a celebration because you've come home. So uh, we're going to close. I'm going to ask that the rest of the praise team come up while, uh, as, I, as I try to catch my breath before I sing this next song. Um, but uh, as they're coming up, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for how it teaches us, Lord. We thank you that um, someone took the time, that you inspired someone to take the time to pin down Jesus' words, that he uh, shared these parables that, um, that people in the time and that uh, those of us today who are reading this word can understand and find out who you are. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, Lord. We thank you that no matter where we've been, what we've done, that you're there waiting to run and embrace us, Lord. We pray that we would not be motivated by the gifts and the rewards that come from following you, but that we would be motivated by the love and the grace, the forgiveness that you've given us, Lord. We pray that as we leave here, that we would extend that grace to others, Lord, that we would not become legalistic and judgmental and uh, and. Uh, Holding things out, holding things against people who have strayed, Lord, because we we've all been there, and we none of us are righteous. Remind us of that. Help us to lean on your grace in all that we do. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.